Why did you drive like that, you fool? We might have been killed. Worse than that, monsieur. We might have been caught. Caught? By whom? Those men you spoke to? They are not men, monsieur. They are dead bodies. Dead? Yes, monsieur. Zombies. The living dead. Corpses taken from their graves. Were made to work. The sugar mills. The fields at night. The following program contains violence, disturbing imagery, nudity, and, oh my god, why are you even watching this? Just run away. This shit is going to give you nightmares. For real. Nightmares where you are running naked on a treadmill made of razor blades, and your third grade teacher is pointing and laughing at you. Before we get through with this thing, we may uncover sins that even the devil would be ashamed of. And if that wasn't bad enough... I just received word that the devil himself is officially ashamed of this podcast. But the flood of blood must go on, so here we go. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Haitians have been uh, reciting voodoo spells to have taken off the internet and buried for eternity. This is the Next Level Network production of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I'm your host... Polly Lugosi. Not as cool as Bella Lugosi, but fuck you, who cares? And this is the 14th episode. I didn't record last weekend, as you guys know. My bad. My apologies. I was uh, slightly exhausted last weekend, and it just it wasn't happening. I needed a, you know, I just needed a weekend to just chill. Watch some movies, sleep, bury a few bodies. Fuck. I don't think I was supposed to tell you that part. But, oh well, fuck it, who cares? It's good to be back this week. It's good to be back talking, podcasting. Yeah. Nah, last weekend was rough. I I don't know how many times I tried watching shows and pass out. I was watching movies and... Fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up. I was fuck I was knackered last weekend, so I just felt it was better off, you know. Don't record because it wouldn't have sounded good anyways. But we're back. I'm back. Me and all my multiple personalities, we're back. Got a great episode lined up for this week. White zombie. Not the band. The movie. I don't know how many of you have seen it. I 
let's put it this way. It's an easy movie to find, so I hope many people have seen it. But if not, I'm going to talk about it. Probably spoil a lot. Your problem, not mine. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, before I get into, uh, you know, the headlines of the week. Actually, it's kind of headlines of the past two weeks, but whatever. I do want to do, I, I, I want to um, express my gratitude. I want to express my thanks to uh, two gentlemen, obviously, uh, Ben Beck and Jeff Cassetta. Uh, both of them were a part of the last couple episodes I did for the show. And thank you so much, guys. <laughs> you made me look good. But um, aside from that, I mean, wonderful time I had with both of them. A lot of fun to talk to them. Um, plus, I recorded on... Uh, uh, Ben's show, uh, DC Primetime, last weekend as well. That was a lot of fun. Uh, kind of made a comment about guns that I probably shouldn't have, but, oh, well, fuck it. I have a bad habit of, like, you know, and it's kind of weird. I think it, you know, it stems to, like, I don't know, I guess, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, famous quotes like, just shoot me, or, you know, ah, put a bullet in their head and get it over with. It's something that, like, I think as a fan of like horror and violence which i know yeah i'm a big fan of that shit um i don't think before i say shit and i kind of made a comment about uh the character wild dog but i ah, put a bullet in his head and get it over with I, I didn't actually mean that um it was just kind of one of those things where i was saying like you know i'm done with the character get rid of him kind of thing and <laughs> came out a little strong so yeah that was interesting. Uh, it's one thing about podcasting. you got to almost think about what you're going to say, which is something I'm not very good at. But anyways, yeah, it happened. It was a, it was a lot of fun, though. It was a really great time. Um, but, yeah, like uh, I just wanted to thank both those guys, really. It, it was a lot of fun. I look forward to having guests on the show again very soon. Uh, this week, though, flying solo. I'm doing this shit by myself because I just kind of want to. Even though it's kind of funny, what what none of you have actually heard is that I've spent the last 40 minutes trying to do this intro. So <laughs> it's rougher when you're by yourself, I'm not going to lie. But, oh well, shit happens and it's time to move on with the show. And we're going to just, uh, I got a few headlines, nothing, uh, you know, nothing earth shattering or anything, but just some things that I thought were kind of cool that I wanted to talk about. Uh, number one, obviously, uh, if you haven't heard, obviously they're uh, they're remaking Pet Cemetery, and I believe the last episode—I think it was last episode—I reported that uh, Jason Clark would be uh, was in the talks to play Lewis Creed. Well, they uh, got themselves a Judd Crandall, and uh, Judd Crandall was a character that, like most of us that you know, loved the original Pet Cemetery, uh, Fred Gwynn. Uh, Eddie Munster, so to speak. Uh, you know, he, he brought that character to life and whatnot. Don't go down that road. Uh, how many times does he say that in the movie? But anyways, uh, John Lithgow will be uh, playing that role in the remake. And, you know, I'm okay with this. I think, that's a, I think it's a good casting. I especially love John Lithgow in, I want to say it was season four of Dexter might have been season three but i think it was season four that he was in and fuck he was awesome in that i, I absolutely loved him i've been a fan of john lithgow going back as far as <clears throat> i hate to say it but santa claus the movie i thought he would because that movie is just so fucking utter cheese and shit but 
he camped it up to a level of like fucking 13 and it was just awesome and I absolutely loved him for it so and I okay I wasn't a big fan of Third Rock from the Sun but when I did watch it you know I always enjoyed watching him and I, I just think he's a great actor I think he's gonna fit the role very nicely so anyways we have a Judd Crandall for Pet Cemetery, which is pretty fucking cool uh, keeping in with uh, great actors, I guess, if you want. Uh, bad tie-in, I know. Whatever, fuck it, who cares? According to Dread Central, anyways, uh, Don Kirshner was talking about uh, the Child's Play TV series. He was saying it, uh, it's not going to be a reboot. It will be a continuation of the story. Uh, Mancini made sure that he also confirmed that Brad Dariff would uh, you know, be returning to voice Chucky. And so apparently Brad Dourif himself has actually confirmed this. Uh, now, he hasn't confirmed that the show is 100% happening, but he more so confirmed that if it does actually go into play, he would be the voice of Chucky. So I think that's pretty fucking cool. Obviously, uh, he basically said that like his daughter talks with Don Mancini a lot and that the, the TV series is something they are very seriously looking at. So, that said, I, I would assume that uh, Brad Dourif will be the voice of Chucky, which, honestly, if you can't get Dourif, don't fucking do it, because, at least not for a while, we all know that that's the voice of Chucky, and unless someone can really impersonate it, like, dead on, probably not something you want to go ahead and, you know, recast for, so... That's cool. I'm glad that, you know, at least if this series does take place, he's on board with it. So that's awesome. Uh, so I thought this was I, I added this because of uh, two reasons. Um, one, we had some sad news uh, roughly about a week ago. Uh, the actor who God, I cannot remember his fucking name now for the life of me. Um, but the actor who played uh, the Toxic Avenger in Toxic Avenger 2 and 3. Uh, he passed away last week, so, you know, it, it was really sad, but what was really kind of interesting at the same time was recently I just met Lloyd Kaufman, which was absolutely an experience I will never forget, and on basically, like, within a week of meeting him, uh, there was an announcement that uh, Toxic Avenger 5 is in the works. So that's pretty cool. It's been uh, almost 20 years since we saw uh, the last Toxic Avenger uh, Toxic Avenger 4, Citizen Toxie. And uh, they, uh, they've they got a script for Part 5 now. Uh, apparently it's been completed. And interestingly enough, James Gunn is apparently helping on this project as well. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of interested. There is also apparently a Toxic Avenger remake that uh, is supposed to be... Um, oh, shit. Who's doing it? Um, Conrad Vernon, uh, who did the Sausage Party movie. Apparently, he's directing the remake. So there's a remake of Toxic Avenger coming out. And on top of that, there is going to be a Toxic Avenger 5, which will be, you know, in correlation to the already existing series of Toxic Avengers. So lots of Toxic coming. A lot of, you know, Toxie is apparently where Troma's going with this. So that, that's pretty cool. And they just, oh, fuck. Not too long ago, they had their return to uh, Class of Nukem High or whatever there. So, Trauma's doing some good shit. Uh, 
Back to Dread Central, actually, kind of. Um, so, Epic Pictures, uh, they have acquired, yes, they have acquired the film called Sleigh Bells, um, and it will be on the Dread Central Presents horror label. Uh, it's directed by Dan Walker. Uh, apparently, I guess he's credited as Spooky Dan Walker. Whatever. Anyways, uh, Sleigh Bells is kind of uh, it's something that caught my attention because it's a holiday horror comedy, and I fucking love those things. Anyways, so there's uh, the story, I guess, kind of to it is there's like three cosplaying women accidentally unleash Krampus, and they have to team up with Santa Claus to save the world. Um, I posted the, uh, I've actually posted the news blurb on the Facebook page, and in the comments I posted the trailer. This movie looks somewhat interesting. Um, so Christina Kleb, uh, Kleb, Kleb, okay. here's me with my horrible fucking pronunciations. Anyway, she was in Hellboy uh, and uh, the upcoming Halloween, and Susan Slaughter of Ouija House, and Barry Bostwick, obviously from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, they're all uh, going to be in this film. And anyways, it, it the trailer looked fucking hilarious. Like, you know, it, Santa Claus being all badass and whatnot, fighting Krampus. So, Which we've seen done before. Uh, what was it? A Christmas horror story? Santa basically fought Krampus as well. I'm into all that stuff. I think that shit's kind of fucking funny. So, whatever. It is what it is. Um, I'll make this one short and sweet. Fox canceled Lucifer and the Exorcist. Sorry, guys. They're gone. Bye-bye. Uh, Fox has been doing some fucking weird shit. That TV network, of course. Uh, you know, like, yesterday we just got uh, word... Okay, so apparently, long story short, uh, if Lethal Weapon replaced their lead actor, Gotham was a goner. If they didn't replace their lead actor, Gotham had another season. Well, they replaced their lead actor, and Gotham got its final season so i don't know it's fucking weird but anyways yeah they canceled lucifer and the exorcist i was kind of bummed about both because i like both shows i admit i've fallen behind on lucifer because like god damn it there's just too many fucking shows to watch but uh <laughs> i live a very interesting life don't i i sit in front of a fucking boob tube but no seriously uh fox canceling lucifer i thought for sure gotham was a goner gotham's not uh, the Exorcist, I enjoyed first season. I was actually waiting for the second season to come on Netflix, which I know it will, but, you know, eh, whatever. Both shows are gone. Uh, on the CW, though, they kept, like, everybody, including iZombie. It got its uh, renewal, so, yeah. Uh, if, if you like that show, which I personally do, I think it's a lot of fun and whatnot. Um, iZombie, that's, you know, one kind of horror show. I still have to get into AMC's The Terror, though. I haven't gotten into that yet, and I've been told I'm being a fucking idiot for not watching it. So that's uh, that's next on the list for me. Um, last story I have. Uh, so it went out of print. Uh, there's this movie called Volumes of Blood, uh, and it's it's like an anthology kind of story. Um, kind of low budget, but it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the first one. I just found out the second one is on Google Movies, so I'm going to be watching that like very shortly. But uh, anyways, it went out of print. So Blood Moon uh, Pictures is uh, planning right now to have a special limited edition Blu-ray re-release of the first film. Uh, it's going to be complete with new and unreleased special features. And all they basically said was more details to come. Uh, PJ Starks, who I believe was the producer, 
uh, posted it first, and then Blood Moon Pictures and the Volumes of Blood Facebook pages both uh, put it up for everyone to see as well. I'm excited about this. I don't know how many of you have seen the original film, uh, Volumes of Blood, but it's a lot of fun. It, it, like I say, it's very low budget, but it, the stories were fun and engaging, so fuck, I didn't care what it looked like. It, it was just a fun movie. It's a good like all-around Halloween movie, you know, to put in your Halloween marathons and whatnot. So, But yeah, that's, uh, that's the final story I basically have for the headlines. Uh, we're going to have a quick break. I'm going to let Rob do his thing. And then when we come back from that, I'll uh, quickly uh, just brush up on some films I've watched the past uh, week, <laughs> kind of past week and two. Uh, but yeah, we'll come back and I'll, I'll quickly go through that shit. And then we'll get into the meat of the episode, the main attraction, which is Bella Lugosi's White Zombie. But first, we'll have a break. Rob, take it away. Hey, everybody, this is Rob from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods and DC Primetime. And I'm here to tell you something that you should definitely be doing if you haven't done so already. And that is heading over to www.nextlevelradioonline.com. There's a ton of other great podcasts on the network if you haven't checked them out already, such as From Panels to Pixels, Two Fat Dudes, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, uh, an upcoming Lost Revisited podcast, uh, in addition to our flagship show, The Showcast Spotlight, which is about to probably get ready to kick off its brand new season of celebrity interviews. Great shows like The Melting Pat, Primetime Fantasy Football, and Con Talk. So whatever your interest is, there's definitely something for you at Next Level Radio Online. Make sure to check them out, like them, review them, share. Thank you guys so much for all of your years of support. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back, everyone, to the segment known as the films I've watched in the past two weeks. Actually, it's almost like three weeks when you think about it, because... Last episode, I didn't do this segment, but oh well, whatever. You know, one thing I was thinking about during the break, um, why do mannequins have nipples? No, actually, I wasn't thinking that during the break. That's just a joke I heard like probably about two decades ago, but I thought it would be funny to come in with that, you know, because here I am sitting in front of a microphone talking to nobody, but everybody. Because people will tune in and listen to me babble about nothing. About horror movies. <laughs> and I watched... Uh, let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six movies would probably be classified as horror films. Including this week's movie as well. I had to re-watch that. Which is never hard. Um, the movie White Zombie. It's a lot of fun to watch. Well, I mean fun. Whatever. Uh... But yeah, so some of the films I've watched in the past uh, couple weeks. Uh, for starters, Tremors. Uh, so, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, a local uh, big box company, we won't mention their name, but anyways, they had uh, the first five films for like 10 bucks. It was like a little like anthology pack or whatever. Not anthology, but like collection, collective pack. And it was the first five Tremors films. And I was like, you know what? I have, like, digital copies of a few of them, but I'm, like, seriously, the last couple of years, I've been on a super huge physical kick. I want every movie, and I want it physically. 
So when I saw the pack and I'm like, not to mention 10 bucks, how the fuck can you go wrong with that? So I watched the first one already. God brought back memories. I, you know, I literally forgot how much I laughed at that movie. And it was just fun to watch. And not to mention Kevin, Kevin Bacon film. And, you know, a lot of people will give Kevin Bacon flack, you know, oh, his movies, this and that, whatever. Kind of like Nicolas Cage. Everyone gives Nicolas Cage flack. I love his movies. I know sometimes he dials it up to, you know, 11 and beyond, but <laughs> whatever. That, that's what makes them fun. Uh, you know, a lot of that's the thing I find a lot of people with movies. We seem like we want like movies to like have no plot holes and, you know, to be like perfect. And they must look, you know, completely, uh, you know, like well thought out and all this other shit. As much as I love movies like that, at the same time, I also love my movies that are completely crapped out campy and, you know, have actors dialing it up to 11 while the other actors are dialing it down to two. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably explain why I watched Spookies again. Uh, that's another, another movie I watched, which I don't want to talk too much about Spookies because I know eventually that's going to be an episode on the podcast and I will dive fucking knee deep in the fucking muck men farting zombie shit that it is because i love that fucking movie but yeah i watched that one as well um i watched uh dead shack dead shack was interesting it wasn't bad it wasn't great it was kind of like in the middle uh as a matter of fact a lot of the movies i watched the past couple weeks are kind of in the middle uh none of them were like you know super great but at the same time they weren't horrible um another film the unwilling i just watched that actually yesterday because uh, Lance Henriksen was in it and uh, Dina Meyer. And I always liked Dina Meyer when uh, she was on... Oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. But remember that show Birds of Prey from, like, 2002? Uh, really bad, you know, WB show. Um, <laughs> most of you are like, no, we don't know it because it sucked that much and we didn't watch it. But anyway, she was in that. She played uh, Barbara Gordon slash Oracle. And I always liked her in that. So, I don't know. And not to mention she was in Johnny Mnemonic, so, and I liked her in that. I know, Johnny Mnemonic, seriously. I just mentioned that fucking movie. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, she's in The Unwilling and uh, with uh, Lance Henriksen, so that kind of pulled me in. It was, uh, I think I paid like, you know, nine bucks or eight fifty or something for that. If it's under ten bucks and it's a bad movie, I kind of don't really consider it like, you know, uh, something I regret. It's when you pay like, you know, $30, $40 for a fucking, you know, great Blu-ray and you get the movie and it's like, oh, fuck, this movie's shit. Uh, that's when you want to kick yourself in the nuts. But anyways, The Unwilling wasn't horrible. It had some really cool, creepy effects and whatnot. Lance Henriksen uh, used very minimally, but the fact that he's in the movie, uh, Lance Henriksen does what Lance Henriksen does. So I couldn't complain too much about it. Uh, let's see, what else did I watch? Okay, so, yeah, I meant, I wrote this one down. Lake Mungo. Now, I understand that this is one of those kinds of movies that either you truly love it or you truly hate it. Um, at least from, like, certain, uh, like, comments and reviews I was seeing. Most people seem to really love it. Uh, okay, so here's my thing. Uh, found footage films and me don't mix very well. I, I'm not a big fan of those kinds of films. And this is kind of like a mockumentary. It's, you know, it's supposed to be like film like a documentary and whatnot. Now, the thing that I loved about the film, the actors were very, um, 
very authentic. Like you would believe you were watching like, you know, 2020 or, you know, 60 minutes or whatever. You could believe you're watching those shows. The thing was, is I didn't find the story itself believable. Uh, I found like, like when they were showing like the footage that, um, uh, what is it? Her brother, I think it is, puts up a camera and he's supposed to be like filming her bedroom. Cause keep in mind, you know, she died. So it's supposedly that she's haunting them or whatever. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, yeah, but in today's day, that's easy to fake, like, you know, on a camera and whatnot. And I think that was my problem was I was watching it like as if it's supposed to be real, even though it's not. So I don't know. I was kind of like in the middle with it. I think I gave it like a six out of 10 or something like that. Uh, I'll probably never talk about it on this podcast. So I don't mind, you know, just kind of like coming out with my rating and whatnot. I don't know. Is I can I can totally appreciate what they were doing with the with the film, and if that was the kind of films I was into, I probably would have like scored it at an eight or a nine or whatever. Like, and you know, would have been like, oh my god, this is the fucking greatest shit in the world. But because I'm not a found footage kind of guy, Cloverfield is probably like you know one of the very few exceptions that I actually really enjoyed that. Um, and it was like found footage and shaky cam and shit like that. But, I mean, this wasn't found footage. This is supposed to be done like a documentary. Again, it's supposed to seem real, even though it's not. And that's my problem with found footage films is they're supposed to seem real, but they don't seem real to me. So, as much as, like, Lake Mungo wasn't bad, it it just didn't appeal to me. So, I'm probably the wrong guy to be reviewing that one. But, I mean, for what it is, I didn't feel like I wasted my time on it. Like, I didn't walk away going, well, that was a pile of fucking shit. No, like... It just wasn't my thing. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Everybody's to their own. Now, uh, okay. So, not so much horror or even sci-fi. We're going to go ninja style here. Because (laughs) I, I just realized the correlation between the two films. So... How do I do this? Okay, so first of all, I watch Batman Ninja. It's in uh, Batman done anime style. Holy shit, that was fucking cool. Uh, I never realized how much I would love Batman in an anime style. And then I watched this and I was like, I want more of this. Uh, it was done very well. Uh, the story was kind of wonky whatnot, but it made sense. You know, Gorilla Grodd, you know, makes some like time traveling machine. They end up in feudal Japan and... Away off to the races they go. And, you know, it was actually quite entertaining. Um, It impressed me a lot more than I expected it to. So, I mean, like, I was hyped up for it. I love my Batman. I'm not going to lie. I love Batman fucking everything. I mean, I've already talked about Gotham here, and this is a horror podcast. But you know what? It deals with bats. Batman is, you know, all about bats and shit. And bats are creepy little monsters. If you don't like them, I think they're cute. But whatever. Okay, I'm, like, talking, like, way too fast, and you got to take a deep breath, you know. Uh, but anyways, no, Batman Ninja is really good. And then, okay, so, uh, to preface this, Lurker's Recommendation of the Week is not a horror film, okay? Um, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably, you know, either in my age bracket or you have sort of, like, a love for the, like, the nostalgic 80s and whatnot. I mean, I'm at least assuming you do. Anyways, there's a really cool series that was dropped on YouTube Red uh, just recently. And 
growing up as a kid, I loved the Karate Kid movies. So, anyways, they they you know the the creators came back like years later. They have like revisited the original film, basically the original story between Johnny and Daniel, uh, Daniel Larusso. And anyways, this is thirty years later. The two gentlemen, how they've grown up, and you know what they're doing with their lives now, and all that fun shit. And basically, Johnny is now trying to you know bring back the Cobra Kai dojo. Ten episodes, half an hour long each, roughly, give or take a few minutes. So, what was it, last, I want to say it was Saturday? I got home from work in the morning. I'm like, okay, I'll give it like one or two episodes a chance. And then, you know, I'll, I, my dog's got like some skin problems right now, so we have to keep bathing him and whatnot. So I was like, okay, I'll watch two episodes, go give the dog a bath. And then I'll come back and, you know, go to bed or whatever. Well, after I was done giving him a bath, I'm like, eh, you know what? I'll watch a few more episodes and then I'll go to bed. There's 10 episodes. I want to stretch it out. Bullshit. Didn't stretch anything out. <laughs> I watched all 10 episodes that morning. I got to bed late and I had to work that night. Oh, well, I was tired at work, but I didn't give a fuck because Cobra Kai is a very awesome very awesome series. They put a lot of thought, a lot of detail into it. And because I was like riding high on that Karate Kid kick, I ended up going back and revisiting the first two films. And yeah, I realized I still loved them basically as much as I did when I was a kid. I mean, I, yeah, they're they're somewhat dated. I mean, the music especially is kind of dated, you know, that cheesy like 80s action pop music and shit like that but i mean it was fun watching those movies again uh i never realized how much i really liked the second one i mean i the first one is obviously the best of you know all of them and we won't speak of the uh jaden smith one i mean don't get me wrong i didn't mind it but i don't understand why it's called the karate kid because it really isn't i mean it's got the same you know similar story and whatnot but he learned a lot more than just karate so but uh, no, getting back to the you know the original first two, they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, and you know, after you watch Cobra Kai and then you go back and you watch the original film, it's a different film. Like you kind of almost see things a little bit differently. You kind of—I uh, don't want to say you sympathize with uh, Johnny's character as much, but you you see it a little bit differently now. Um, but anyways, uh, Lurker's recommendation, definitely check out uh, Cobra Kai. Um, but now, you know what? Uh, this is a horror podcast and enough talk of ninjas and shit because when we come back, it's going to be time to travel to the darkest reaches of Haiti as we dive deep into the world of voodoo and The Walking Dead, not the TV show. We're going to time travel back to the 1930s to Danse Macabra, to the whim of the white zombie. From Haiti, land of the voodoo, comes the most infamous cult of all, Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie.
zombies. Yes. They are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halevi! Halevi! Never eyes so evil. Never powers so potent. Never magic so black. Bela Dracula Lugosi as the master of the white zombie. To you, my friend, they are the angels of death. I love when Bella says that in this movie. The movie, White Zombie, released July 28th, 1932. I also read that I think it was in Brazil. The movie was released October 31st of 1932, like in Brazil. That's kind of cool. You know, they should have released it October 31st, like North American as well. Because this is a very creepy movie. It would fit perfectly for Halloween. But, oh well, whatever. July 28th works for me, right? I wasn't even fucking born. <laughs> My mom wasn't even born. Um, So, yeah, we're going way back. Movie was directed by Victor Halperin, and it was produced by his brother Edward Halperin. Uh, it was also produced by Phil Goldstone, but he was never credited for actually being a producer. I guess he like kind of helped with the funding and whatnot, but like was kind of like a silent partner kind of idea. So yeah, whatever. Uh, the movie itself, like the dialogue and stuff, was written by Garnet Weston and inspired by the book The Magic Island. That was written by William B. Seabrook. And again, uh, Seabrook was not credited for the film either, even though like a lot of the inspiration came from the book. Like A, a lot of the voodoo aspects uh, were inspired from the Magic Island. But the dialogue for the film and uh, like some of the overall direction and whatnot was uh, done by Garnet Weston. Uh, the cinematography was done by Arthur Marinelli. Uh, and this is a... 
It's interesting because, like, I mean, it's a movie from 1932. It doesn't, it, the, the quality of the film didn't hold up very well uh, until, like, recently. I think, like, 2013, there was a remaster or whatever. But, um, I mean, for the longest time, it just, this film did not look pretty. It had been beaten up and battered around and whatnot. But when you actually get past, like, the idea of the fact that it's got, like, a lot of crackles and pops and hisses and whatnot, to actually look at the movie, it was a beautiful-looking film. Uh, special effects for the very minimal special effects that were in this film were done by Howard A. Anderson. The music supervisor was Abe Meyer because technically they really didn't have a composer for this film. They used a lot of like different um, old classical music pieces and just had them like um, basically covered or like redone, so to speak, like re-recorded by certain composers and whatnot, but there was no actual composer for the film. Uh, the film was distributed by United Artists and was uh, filmed on a budget of $50,000, which I guess back then would have been considered like, you know, some serious loot, but nowadays a $50,000 movie is like, we're talking really low budget. So, uh, your starring cast, Bela Lugosi. Uh, as Murder Legendre. And uh, Bella was awesome in this movie. Um, it, I don't think he ever had a role that would top Dracula. Let's let's be honest there. But this was a very nice close second. Uh, Madge Bellamy uh, played uh, Madeline Short, um, who eventually she marries uh, Neil Parker. Uh, so her name would be Madeline Short Parker. But... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I know I'm kind of uh, jumping all over the place here and I'm losing track. Stay on target. Um, okay, uh, Joseph Cawthorn, who uh, at the time was uh, a veteran actor. Uh, he's uh, Dr. Bruner. Uh, basically, he's like a, a priest or a minister or whatever. Why they call him Dr. Bruner, I don't know, because it should have been like, you know, Minister Bruner or whatever. I Fuck. Who am I to say, right? I'm just reading. Um, Robert Fraser plays Charles Beaumont, and he's a fucking creep. I'll get into that little asshole later on. And John Heron as Neil Parker, the man who is set to marry Madeline. So the uh, the synopsis for the film uh, pretty much would explain bullshit I was just talking about. A uh, young couple, Madeline and Neil, are coaxed by acquaintance Monsieur Beaumont to get married on his Haitian plantation. I love how that rhymes. Hant Haitian plantation. Yeah. Uh, Bowman's motives, though, are purely selfish as he makes every attempt to convince the beautiful young girl to run away with him. He's an asshole. Anyways, uh, for help, Bowman turns to the devious Legendre. A man who runs his mill by mind-controlling people he has turned into zombies. Oh, he sounds like uh, people at work. No, uh, anyways. <clears throat> you know, everybody's all about the mind control in 2018. Uh, so, after Beaumont uses Legendre's zombie poison, po poison, potion, Jesus Christ, Paul, learn to talk, on Madeline, he is dissatisfied with her emotionless being and wants her to be changed back. Oh, you poor little fucking whining crybaby. Legendre has no intention of doing this, and he drugs Beaumont as well to add to his zombie collection. 
Meanwhile, grieving widower Neil is convinced by a local priest that Madeline may still be alive and he seeks her out. So because I like threw a bunch of footnotes in there and probably confused the fuck out of everybody. So basically Madeline and Neil, they're like they're getting married and Beaumont, the asshole, says, Oh, well come get married, you know, at my place. You know, don't don't go away. Come come to my place and get married, you know basically in his residence so to speak and the whole reason why he's doing this is because he wants to convince madeline not to meal um to meal to marry neil um wow there's a lot of bloopers on this episode sorry guys uh anyways no he he's trying to convince her to run away with him don't marry neil you know he's not worth it kind of thing and of course i mean she's madly in love with neil that's not gonna happen so he goes to, you know, a voodoo master or like a voodoo witch doctor kind of guy, which I mean, seriously, do you, how do you not see that this is a fucking problem? Right. But anyways, and, you know, the witch doctor is played by Bella Lugosi, which he's fucking amazing in this. And he's like, OK, yeah, sure, I'll fucking help, you know, and turns her into a zombie. And then, of course, you know, Beaumont's like, well, this isn't what I wanted. Well, <laughs> Sorry, pal, it's what you got. You know what I mean? Like, think before you fucking ask kind of thing. And anyways, yeah, so uh, the priest who's played by um, uh, Cawthorn there, he's fucking hilarious. Like, throughout, like, there's several times in the film where he's like, you know, he's like the comic relief. You know, like, everything's all serious. And he's like, oh, excuse me, do you have a match? And, you know, because he's a smoker or whatever. But, yeah, like, it very well done. Like, I mean, the film, the runtime on this film is, it varies. Because certain versions were 65 minutes long. one uh, Another version is 67 minutes long. Uh, depending on how badly the quality of the film is, you can actually get like a 70 or 74 minute version of the film. Because, I mean, like, uh, it, it's an old film. I mean, 1932. And they, like I said, it only got a, a recent, uh, like a remaster just recently where they were able to clean it up and make it look kind of decent now and whatnot. But myself personally i like watching the older versions i like with the crackles and the pops and the hisses and whatnot because i don't know it just it kind of adds to the the feeling and whatever but yeah so um without spoiling the ending obviously like that's basically the whole story is you know some dickhead decides that he wants to steal some guy's girl so come get married over here and i'm gonna bring this witch doctor in and he's gonna fucking you know mind control all of you and yeah. So anyways, the things men will do just for a piece of ass, I tell you, it's fucking weird. I'm a man I would know. Uh, anyway, so White Zombie was filmed in 11 days. I love these movies that were filmed like so quickly. Uh, filmed in 11 days in March of 1932. Uh, was shot at the Universal Studios lot. Uh, and it was also filmed in Bronson Canyon on uh, $50,000. That's... Uh, Basically, uh, all they uh, spent to film it. Uh, and where did I read it? Yeah, so Bella Lugosi only got paid like 500 It's somewhere between 500 and $900 for this. And yet the interesting thing was I read that Madge Bellamy got like 5000 So what the fuck? How does Bella get paid like so low for this? And yet she got... I mean, whatever. I wasn't there. I don't fucking know, but... <laughs> I was just like, really? You paid him that low and gave her the money? Of course, she's cute. I'm not going to lie. I mean, probably not cute now, but she was cute back then. She had like a Betty Boop look to her. It was kind of cute. 
other than Bella Lugosi and Joseph Cawthorn, uh, the majority of the cast, a lot of them were uh, actors from the silent film era. You can definitely feel that in this movie. You can tell like a lot of these actors were not familiar with actually using dialogue. So uh, by the time Bella Lugosi though uh, appeared in White Zombie, he was always he was already very popular. Uh, obviously, 1931 is when Dracula came out. And he was also in Murders in the Rue Morgue, yeah, which was an earlier 1932 release. And uh, so a lot of people, like in today's day, when they look back on like you know his film career and whatnot, a lot of people are really surprised that he did such a low budget film after he had already like skyrocketed to like high fame in the horror genre and whatnot. It is what it is, but I mean, the Halpern brothers, even though this is a low-budget film, this movie looks decent. I mean, like I said, all things considered, I mean, the the film itself got kicked around quite a bit, but I mean, shit, like, compare it to, like, Dracula or, like, you know, Frankenstein and movies of that time, it's really hard to tell that it's, like, a lot lower budgeted than those movies, so... It is what it is, and ironically, um, just or coincidentally, I should say, not ironically, uh, coincidentally, uh, the set designer, Ralph Berger, when he was setting up the, the sets for this film, uh, he went back and got, like, he used a lot of the sets from, like, previous films, which included Dracula uh, as one of the films that he uh, kind of stole the sets from, uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame, Frankenstein, and the Cat, uh, the cat and the Canary. And I believe, uh, where, where did I see this? He also used uh, uh, sets uh, from The King of Kings, uh, which was a 1927 film. Uh, he used that for the interior of Legendre's castle. So it, it's it's interesting, too, because like when I watched the film, there was a couple of shots where I was like, wow, that looks like it's straight out of Dracula. And then I'm doing research on this film. I'm like, oh, that's because it was right out of Dracula. So who the fuck knew? Moving on, Jack Pierce, uh, Lugosi's makeup artist, uh, was responsible for doing makeup on several other uh, really famous horror films, which included Frankenstein, The Wolfman, and The Mummy. So that's pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, whatever. It's not really that cool, but I just thought I'd add it. So the music. So as I was talking earlier about the music, I actually did write down something about that. I forgot. Sorry. Uh, so the music of White Zombie was supervised by Abe Meyer. I already said that. Instead of using pre-recorded music, though, uh, which was something common for the times, uh, Meyer had orchestras record new versions of compositions for each specific film he was involved in. The music in White Zombie uh, includes uh, music from Pictures at an Exhibition, uh, Gaston Borch's Incidental Symphonies, and Hugo Reisenfeld's Death of the Great Chief. Uh, other pieces on the White Zombie soundtrack include music that was written by Richard Wagner, uh, H. Maurice Jacquet, uh, Leo Kem- Kempensky, oh, I think I said that right, and Franz Lisette. Yeah, so basically, like as I was saying earlier, a lot of the music that you hear in the film uh, was recreated by uh, orchestras. But their previous um, like works that had been done before, and that that's not uncommon. I mean, even Night of the Living Dead, uh, a lot of the music that was used in the original Night of the Living Dead is right out of the public domain. It it wasn't uncommon back in the days to just use like stock music, 
they didn't it's not like today like today like every movie has a different composer and they're creating these huge scores and whatnot back in those days they just like grabbed music that was already previously released and either had an orchestra re-record it or they just used it as it was and like i say like night of the living dead there's a soundtrack out there i have it i have digital copy but whatever uh but it's all stock music that was done by like you know other artists that their music eventually found their way into the public domain so just kind of interesting because i guess if you pirate it are you really pirating it because it's public domain but whatever (laughs) night of the living dead is in the public domain actually this movie is in the public domain that's why there's so many goddamn releases for it myself alone i think i have four different versions of white zombie just from like different collections and whatnot because like you can get like you know 50 classic films and you know 10 tales of terror and all you get all those like packs you know and they're dirt cheap and whatnot and then i have like you know an actual like copy of uh white zombie which actually i have it right here Hmm. i'm just looking to see uh uh so mine is the alpha video release with Bella Dracula Lugosi. I always love how they like started calling him that after he did Dracula. And on the cover, it's got like a picture of Bella. Like it's all in color too. It's kind of cool. Except Madge Bellamy is like like pure white, and it says she was not alive nor dead, just a white zombie performing his every desire. That sounds so sexual, but <laughs> and she wasn't. Um, but yeah. So and like I said, like there, there's versions all over the place. VHS tapes, like galore. There you can find like so many different versions. The remasters were uh, so both remasters actually came out in 2013. There's two versions. Uh, there's a VCI re- remaster. Uh, VCI video did one uh, remaster, and the other one was by Kino Kino Lorber's uh, Classics Remaster. And those ones I haven't I can't I can't comment on yet because I haven't seen them. Um, I actually have the Kino Lorber's like the Kino Classics version. I have that on pre like not on pre order, but I, like I have it on order. It's coming soon. So I don't know. I'll be able to comment more as to how it looks after. But I, I like I said, there's just this thing with me. Like I, I just love the old like that crackle and the pop and. You know, there, it, there's, like, times where, like, they're talking and, like, there's words missing and shit like that, which, I mean, should be annoying, but I actually don't find it annoying. I kind of like it. So, anyways, uh, ratings. Um, basically, IMDb has this rated at 6.4 out of 10, which, going based on IMDb, eh, I guess that works. And Rotten Tomatoes has it at 89% fresh. I like that. I I can't believe it. I'm not mad at Rotten Tomatoes. I'm finding actually that the movies I am like recording about and talking about, Rotten Tomatoes seems to like a lot of them. So I can't really complain. I still hate the fucking website though. There's that will never fucking change. Yeah. So 89% fresh, which I I think is pretty accurate myself. So now we get into the gore, the blood, and the foggy. I have uh, quite a bit of notes here. This is a movie I, I've seen it many times. So it's easy to talk about because it's not one where, like, I've watched it once and it's like, okay, now how do I talk about this film and stuff? I, no, I've seen this one more than enough times. I've been watching it probably for, shit, let's see. I'm 42 now. I think the first time I saw it, I was like 17 or 18 years old. And basically because of the band White Zombie, after listening to Rob Zombie's music for so long, you get the idea that a lot of what he's created is 
based on or inspired by previous films and books and you know movies and whatnot. I said films, movies, whatever, same thing. So I obviously I looked into White Zombie. Where did the name come from? And that's when I found out about this movie. And back then, I think I had like a cheap $3 VHS version that I think I got at Blockbuster Video or something. Like I said, I've since moved up to DVD and I have a Blu-ray on uh, on order. It's it's kind of this movie's kind of like Night of the Living Dead for me. Um, I never get bored with them. And yeah, they're black and white. They're old. They've been you know they've been around the block and then some. But I never get bored of this film. And what's really cool about this one is this is technically at least in existence it is the very first zombie movie ever i i'm not gonna lie i do love my zombie movies um you know i know nowadays with walking dead and fear the walking dead and shit like that i zombie it seems like zombies have become like the cool thing again but i've been i've been a fan of zombie films since i was like you know what so night of the living dead i think when i was four or five (laughs) so i i've I'm a huge fan of zombie films, and this is no exception. I love this movie. It's a it's a decent story. Uh, now, the difference with this, as opposed to Romero's zombies, is that these zombies were created by the practice of voodoo. Uh, so there's like a, a, a potion that uh, Murder Legendre like creates, and it's supposed to like you know I guess basically like kill people. And then they would come back to life. But I mean, in all honesty, it's just it's it's mind control. They're not dead, but they give you the impression that they're dead. Then I mean, obviously, like years went on, and I mean, there's there was movies like Teenage Zombies and uh, fuck, what was the other one? Um, I Walked with a Zombie, uh, movies like that where it was just mind control. It was you know they were dumb basically. You know they had no sense of emotion, no sense of uh, of intelligence and then along comes Romero and you know he creates Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead and then we have the Return of the Living Deads and you, as as time went on this became more of a thing it was either like if you go like 28 days later it's like kind of like the illness or if you look at like you know the, the uh, Return of the Living Deads and whatnot it was like a chemical that got into their system or got into the environment and voila, the dead come back to life. So this one's a bit different. It has a very dark gothic feel to it. Makes it very creepy, very haunting. I'm I'm going to suck his dick right now. Bella Lugosi is fucking wonderful in this movie. I love his version of Dracula. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love him as Dracula. But this movie, I actually kind of like him better in. And now, don't get me wrong. I, Dracula is like whew, high on the fucking list for me. I love, I love the Bella Lugosi Dracula. But I love him in this film. Like he is just, he's very evil. He looks almost like dark and satanic, and I fucking love it. And it's all like the the one thing about this film that's really interesting is. And I, I kind of mentioned it earlier about like a lot of the actors were were silent film actors. A lot of what happens in this film is based on expression. It's based on face acting. Uh, with Bella Lugosi, uh, he does, he talks, but in not a lot. A lot of it is within the eyes. A lot of it is within his posture, his stature, um, the way he grips his hands and shit like that. A lot of it is his body acting. 
and it's fucking great in this movie. Now, granted, he does that in Dracula as well, like the you know the like the the slinking and the lurking and shit like that. He does all that great in Dracula too. But there was just something about this film that, like, I remember watching it for the first time, going, "Holy shit!" Like this dude's like, yes, when he talks, he's he's got a, a demanding voice and whatnot. But it's it's the way he like holds himself. It's it's. His facial expressions, uh, Match Bellamy is really good for that too. Uh, she, especially when she becomes like the zombie character, the emotionless, uh, like, like look in her eyes and like the look of like, like blank, like there's no thought there and stuff. She plays it off like fucking wonderfully. Um, John Heron is pretty good in this too, and I, I as I kind of already mentioned it earlier, uh, Joseph Cawthorn who plays uh, Dr. Bruner. <laughs> He's really good, but it, it's it's the slight bit of humor that he brings to the film to kind of like break the monotony of, the, of the, the doom and dread that comes with this film. He, he just, like I said, like the simple line of, excuse me, uh, can, can I bother you for a match? Because he wants to smoke, but he has, you know, no way of lighting his, like his smokes or his, I think he actually has a pipe. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it just... He's kind of like the, the the comic relief that just breaks the moment just for a second. And Robert Fraser is Beaumont. Well, okay, this guy's a fucking treat. Uh, first of all, I, I, before I say any of this, uh, he's he, he acts very well in this movie. His, his acting is definitely um, it's definitely good. Like I again, he's a silent actor, so he's got like the emoting going on, and he's got like the the body movements and whatnot, but. I love the whole idea behind his story. Like, let's hire some fucking creepy voodoo witch doctor to make the girl that you want love you. And then when you get the final result, it's not good enough for you. So you whine and cry like a whiny bitch. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what's up with that, dude? Like, you're a fucking whiner. Um, but it, it's so good. And like, again, if you're a fan of silent films, too, like, and I... I haven't seen many of them, but I've seen enough to know that I, I enjoy the idea of silent acting. I, I've kind of even mentioned this uh, back uh, episode nine with Terrifier, that one of the things that inspired David Howard Thornton is silent actors. You see a lot of that kind of acting with these actors in this film. And Robert Fraser is really good at like just emoting the fact that like he's like this sad sack piece of shit that. I want you to love me so badly, but you don't. And like, he's just, it's fucking hilarious. Um, and like his, like his, his jealousy towards Neil, you know, that, that, uh, Madeline is just so much in love with Neil and you can just, again, like very well emoted. All, all the actors in this are really good at that. And he was no exception. Like I, I, when I watch the film, and it's funny, I've seen, like I've said, I've seen this film like dozens of times. And every time I'm like, you're such a fucking weasel. Like, you know, like, why can't someone throw you off a fucking cliff? But, um, I mean, he gets his in the end. I won't say how. Uh, look at me, I'm actually not going to spoil something. But, um, <laughs> no, uh, he, he's, a lot of, he's a lot of fun to watch. They all are. Like, everybody in this film is, is really enjoyable to watch. Now, one interesting thing uh, that's somewhat similar to a silent film, but some, somewhat not. Okay, so first of all, there's very little musical score. Even though there are parts of music and they were recreated for the film and whatnot, there's not that much um, 
There's not that much music. Like at times, like, and it's really weird because the dialogue is somewhat choppy at times. So when you've got the choppy dialogue and there's no music, it seems kind of like fucking weird because it's like it's you just hear air <laughs> and you know they're focusing on a character and it's like did the director forget to say cut or something like what the fuck um it's kind of awkward but i mean again you're talking about a film that was made in 1932 this wasn't made in 2032 well we ain't gotten there yet but you know what i mean you know what i'm saying like it's not a modern film it's not you know edited properly and not cut and you know you don't have the cgi and all that beautiful shit that like you know takes you away from the fact that oh there's no dialogue for five minutes you know a, a quiet place perfect example of that you know four minutes of dialogue in the whole fucking movie but you don't really notice because you're so enthralled in what everything that's going on with this it's a little bit different there's no music there's no dialogue and you're just kind of focused on, you know, Bella's face or, you know, Madge's face or whatever. And it's like, OK, like and cut, you know what I mean? Um, but it's also because of the very little uh, musical score. But then when the musical score does kick in and there's not so much need for dialogue and whatnot, that's where you feel like you're almost watching like a silent film. Like you expect like Buster Keaton's going to come on the fucking screen all of a sudden or you know what I mean? Like like something like The Hunchback of Notre Dame or Metropolis or whatnot. Um, like, it, it just feels like those kinds of films where, like, you're seeing the black and white, the, the imagery. Nosferatu is another one. Um, you know, you're seeing them emote and moving around and the music's playing. So you're thinking, oh, it's like a silent film. And then the music stops and we go back to the dialogue. So, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I guess I give this movie a lot of leniency for the simple fact that you know, it is an older film and it was a low budget older film at that. So, I mean, it wasn't mainstream or, you know, anything like that. Now, to get to the point of the zombies, and I don't, I kind of wrote a few funny things because the zombies are very interesting to say the least. Um, they're not, they're not bloody. They're not dead looking. They're not decayed. There's no worms coming out of their faces or their eyes. You know, they're all their digits are intact. All their limbs are intact. But, they seem like they're like almost like zoned out, like something just like fucked their shit up massively. Like maybe like they watched a Melissa McCarthy movie and are upset they won't get those 90 minutes back. I don't fucking know. Like they look like they're like, fuck my life kind of like look on their face. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. They saw pitch perfect one, two and three. Um, I don't know. And it spun them into delirium. Uh, I know it would do it to me, but, um, yeah, like the zombies are just really cool. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but like the really, really big zombie, he's fucking cool. Uh, and not in the film a whole lot, but he's just, it's kind of cool. Like, I don't know, I guess I could get like really cynical and say like, you know, like the zombies kind of look like people like working at, you know, a factory or something like kind of like just monotone drones, like keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Like, because the zombies in this movie work in like a, a mill factory or whatever. And that's what murder Legendre has them doing. Right. Is like working for him. They're like working in his, his mill or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just like, again, it, it's, it's a different kind of zombie. It's not the zombies that we know today where like, you know, they're walking around missing their arm and their pecker, like, you know, and they got blood oozing out of their eyes and, mucus and puke and all that other shit like these ones look like normal humans they just look like they've been they've had the shit scared out of them um and again and to get back to the whole like you know gore or lack thereof 
There's not much bloodshed in this. There's not much action in this movie. A lot of the creepy factor comes from just the appearance of the film, the aesthetic of it, and the magnificent acting, of course, of Bella Lugosi. Like I said, like he seems like somewhat like almost satanic. He seems very menacing, very evil. Uh, and and that's something else as well is like, you know, in today's like films, we see like villains that kind of like have like, you know, a sympathetic twist to them, like where you're kind of like, OK, yeah, you're the villain, but I can kind of understand why with this guy. No, he's just fucking evil. Like he likes to like fuck with people's minds. He likes to control people. He's very um, uh, like what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, you know, he's got like a, a, a very communist kind of attitude. Like you will fucking listen to me and do as I say and very, very dictatorship. Like, you know what I mean? He, he's he's an evil piece of shit. Uh, but again, so well acted that you can't help but love him. Like, it's just like, that's Bella Lugosi. That's, that's the count doing what the count does. And as I mentioned earlier about like, you know, Madge Bellamy's acting when she's a zombie, like it's, it's amazing by the standards, you know, when you consider that this is a 1932 film, when you consider the fact that like zombies haven't technically been defined as they are today, and you watch her acting like, you know, it, it's very amazing to watch. Like she really comes off like I, I for those of you who are familiar with Rob Zombie's music videos, the whole idea of the living dead girl, which is also a movie as well. But um, the whole idea of like, you know, when, when you watch that music video and you see Sherry Moon uh, like portraying the living dead girl and how she's got like that blank look on her face and whatnot. That's what Madge Bellamy was doing back in 1931. Or 1932 when they recorded this, or like made this film. So, again, like the blank look in her eyes is like it's almost like piercing. Like it, it almost like feels like it's going right through you. At the same time, it also seems so dull and expressionless that it it just it's really fucking cool to see. The ending to this film is great, and in a time when sequels were basically non-existent, this film did a, it does a very good job of establishing a beginning, middle, and ending. The perfect three-act play. No need for a sequel. Now, there is... Uh, oh, okay, so in 2014, I know that there was a remake done. It's uh, very low-budget, uh, almost like fan-made. I haven't seen it yet myself. It's very hard to find. But I know that uh, it's, there, you can find trailers online for, uh, on YouTube uh, for the uh, supposed remake and whatnot. I, again, I haven't seen the film, so I can't really comment on it. I know that I did see a few uh, reviews and comment, you know, like commentaries about the remake, and apparently a lot of people are very impressed with what they've seen. So it's something that I would like to see eventually. But in terms of like the original here, it's the perfect three-act play. It's, it's, it didn't need a sequel. I'm glad it never got one. For anyone who's a fan of good old black and white classic films, this is a must-see. Uh, like I said, the movie has been remastered, but my for myself personally, I like the old beat-up look. I like the old uh, pops and crackles to it. Um, the look of the cheaper releases, for me, honestly, almost like adds a feeling of darkness and gothic tone. To sum this up, to because I've been rambling for quite a while, so... I should probably wrap this up, but uh, I've watched this movie over a good two, three dozen times. Like, I never get sick of it. Probably even four dozen times for all I fucking know. Because like I said, going back to the days of VHS, and I mean, 
I, like I said, I think I was like 17 or 18 when I saw it for the first time. And, you know, I'm 42 now. So obviously watching it every year and it's like a Halloween tradition. I watch it every Halloween and whatnot. Um, I know it's not a perfect movie. It, it's far from a perfect movie. But it for me, it's perfect for what it is. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a 10 out of 10. It's That would be on an emotional level, I would call it a 10. But if I was going to rate it, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. For the simple fact that I applaud the effort they put into it, I applaud the fact that they were, you know, it was very low budget. And at a time when Bella Lugosi didn't have to do low budget anymore, he could have done done more mainstream shit. Uh, he was still, you know, offering his uh, his acting abilities to, you know, uh, two brothers who wanted to just make a, a really cool gothic film, and that's exactly what they did. It's it's a great classic. Again, I I highly recommend this. Call it Lurker's Recommendation number two. But that's the end of my review this week, guys. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, This one was a lot of fun. I knew I had a lot to talk about. And I've tried to, you know, keep the the talking down. Uh, Like, not talking down, obviously. The point of a fucking podcast is to talk. I wanted to try and get this out as, you know quick as i could without like sounding like a babbling idiot Uh, joys of podcasting by yourself but no um i enjoy it so whatever okay so yeah no that that's the end of the review uh thank you for listening i do love you guys i know i always say but i I wouldn't actually ask all my friends you know people i work with people i hang out with i tell everyone to fuck off i never mean it One of these days I'll say it to the wrong person, though, and they won't know I'm kidding and punch in the face or something, but whatever. Uh, So, where can you find my podcast? Um, If you're really looking, you've probably already found it because you've already listened to this and you're thinking, why are you telling us this? Because it's what I have to do. No. Uh, So, obviously, you can find the podcast at nextlevelradioonline.com. And like I say, I say it every week. I'm going to say it again. Check out the other podcasts on there. There's a lot of great shit. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, Melting Pat, DC Primetime Showcase Spotlight, uh, Caffeine Crew, Cast of Pods, uh, Panels to Pixels, Two Fat Dudes. Oh, what else is on there? Con Talk, uh, Oyster Mill Theater. Uh, I know I'm forgetting some. I apologize to anyone. I know I just forgot your podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, check them all out, but I mean, and check mine out while you're there. But like I said, if you're listening to this, you might have also grabbed this from uh, maybe possibly CastBox. Uh, I think Stitcher, I think it's on there now. Uh, iTunes, Google, obviously. Uh, If you're looking to uh, contact me through the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. You can email me at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero uh twitter is at wlb podcast underscore zero letterboxd yes i've been posting quite a few reviews lately of movies i've been watching uh quite a few that i mentioned in the films that i've watched the past two weeks segment uh letterboxd.com slash wlb underscore podcast zero and redbubble uh, if you want to get like a really cool shirt, maybe some stickers, coffee, you know, traveling mugs and whatnot, um, redbubble.com slash people slash podcast zero. That's the number zero. Don't write the word. You won't find me there. 
that's it. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, next week's episode is another hidden gem. Uh, it will be in the form of 1991's The Boneyard, which I recently just picked up the Blu-ray for. Well, I kind of picked it up. Mail sent it to me. Mail day. Yeah. I fucking love mail days because I get like all kinds of cool toys and shit. But uh, yeah, I got it in the mail um, through Amazon.ca. Uh, for those of you in the States, it's Amazon.com. And check out, uh, yeah, if you want to check out The Boneyard. Uh, it's kind of an acquired taste, I guess. I love it. Not everyone else does. Uh, So I will be reviewing that next week. Thank you again for listening, everyone. And I thought that beauty alone would satisfy, but the soul is gone. I can't bear those empty, staring eyes. Take care, everyone.